Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Colorado Gardener. My name is Christy McGowan. Plant Select turns 25. Not just another pretty face. By Michael Bronner. And this is from Colorado Gardener, Harvest 2022 edition. We gardeners see a lot of branded plants in branded pots, pushed with a lot of money to make a lot of money. That's not the story with Colorado's Plant Select program. Plant Select began as, and continues to be, a plant promotion program genuinely aimed at the success of Rocky Mountain gardeners and at saving water, supporting pollinators, and encouraging a Western garden aesthetic. I've been in the nursery business for 30 years, and one of the most frustrating problems I keep seeing is when a wholesale nursery discovers a great new plant and grows it for sale, but it disappears in two years because not enough people bought it. Why not? Because most wholesale nurseries don't have a system to promote that special plant. Back in the mid-80s, this problem, as well as the very limited selection of perennials for Western gardens, inspired a few dedicated, passionate, and visionary plants people to brainstorm a solution. Jim Klett, Panayoti Kalaitis, Gail Weinstein, and Al Gerace were in the avant-garde. Jim Klett is a professor at CSU. Beyond teaching, he has a passion for testing woody plants he has sourced from all over the country. Panayoti Kalaitis, currently director of outreach at Denver Botanic Gardens, is a passionate plant explorer, seed collector, and plant prolistizer. Gail Weinstein, who was a Denver landscape designer and consultant, may be credited with coming up with the idea of a plant promotion program. And Al Garace, formerly CEO of Welby Gardens, helped figure out how the program could pay for itself and therefore survive into the future. I'm simplifying here and probably leaving some people out. Jim Klett chaired meetings, provided leadership and organizational structure, and woody plant research. Panayoti Kalaitis tested and displayed new plants at Denver Botanic Gardens, shared plants and seed with gardeners and growers, and came up with sexy, sustainable Western perennials that caught public attention. Al Garace suggested plant tags slash royalties to provide income and encourage demonstration gardens to inspire gardeners and encourage purchases. This unique partnership of university, botanic garden, and the green industry works remarkably well. Jim Klett says, our program has been much more successful, in my opinion, because of the three-way approach. Other mostly profit-motivated programs promote a plant just because it's new or unusual. Plant Select 
originated and driven by sincere civil servants and passionate plant professionals, is on a mission to present and encourage the cultivation of water-wise, tough, durable, beautiful, successful, climate-resilient plants. In Colorado, we garden with certain cultural conditions that can be the death of eastern plants. Our alkaline soils, dry conditions, sunny winters, volatile mountain weather, plus strong winds and hail call for specially adapted plants. Over the 25 years since its first plant introduction in 1997, Plant Select has showcased 172 different plants, including many Colorado natives. This progress has been enriched by the insights and plant introductions of local plant professionals. Scott Skogerbo, head propagator at Fort Collins Wholesale Nursery, saved some great shrubs abandoned at the Cheyenne Horticultural Station by propagating them and bringing them to the attention of Plant Select. Lauren Springer, landscape designer, author, and eagle-eyed plantswoman, has brought Plant Select a number of tough beauties. Kelly Grummans, longtime nurseryman, propagator, and plant lover, has allowed a number of his plant finds and breeding selections to enter into the Plant Select program. And the late David Salmon bred, found, photographed, described, and promoted great Western plants, some of which came to Plant Select. Credit is also due to wholesale nurseries that propagate these new plants and are at risk if they don't sell. Just in the last five years, Plant Select has sold, collected propagation fees on, 11.5 million plants. This not only represents success for the program, but also a significant influence on our ecosystems. Since gardeners are growing these plants that are better adapted to Western conditions, saving water, increasing populations of native plants, and supporting pollinators. Plant Select's bootstrap financing system, expanding slowly through its own profits, paid for its two dynamic directors, Pat Hayward in 2008, and since 2017, Ross Shrigley. With the direction of at least two committees, a plant evaluation program and plenty of opinions, Ross is leading Plant Select forward. He continues with a strong focus on drought tolerance, water conservation, disease resistance, climate resilience, dry shade tolerance, and expanding the program to include other Western states. His passion for good plants and service to the community continues to improve this already excellent program. Has Plant Select promoted some duds? In spite of years of testing, are a few selections short-lived or not so water-wise? Has the program made mistakes, like getting people excited about a plant before the industry could produce it? Of course. But let's celebrate some examples of the program's remarkable success. Plant Select's focus on drought tolerance is naturally intelligent and timely. 
This year, the precipitation total for Boulder through June is 9.65 inches. In 2019, it was 13 inches. In 2020, it was 12.64 inches. And in 2021, it was 15.6 inches through June. Weather predictions indicate warmer and drier conditions for the West. If we are forced under watering restrictions, as in 2002, lawns and gardens dependent on moderate watering will suffer and plants will die. Plants I consider especially resilient to hot, dry conditions. Hot Wings Maple Chieftain Manzanita Canna Creek Sulphur Flower Woodward Juniper Penstemon Menzerium Penstemon Rostiflorus Mock Orange Cheyenne Viburnum Miniman Chocolate Flower Berlandiera Fernbush Red Bead Cotton Easter Silver Heels Whorehound Dwarf Mountain Lover Dwarf Lead Plant Baby Blue Rabbit Brush Giant Sacaton Snow Mesa Buckwheat Mojave Sage Salvia Autumn Amber Sumac Apache Plume Russian Hawthorn and there are more. I have very strict standards for drought tolerance based on my own experience, but it is just one of several criteria for high performance in the Plant Select program. Go to plantselect.org to see all the colorful perennials the program has promoted as a service to our gardening community. Many are natives supporting native pollinators, and I believe we will find that many turn out to be good firescaping plants. We owe our appreciation and gratitude for the dedication, passion, and perseverance of the people behind the Plant Select program. This kind of ecological integrity is needed now more than ever. The smell of flowers. After my parents died, I hated it. By Laverne Otis. And this is from Green Prince, Autumn 2022 edition. I was 10 years old when my father died. I was 12 when my mother died. That's why I learned to hate the smell of flowers. There were so many flowers at both my parents' funerals that the smell of them almost gagged me. I would get a whiff here and there of the sweet spring scent of a flower bouquet, and my breath would catch in my throat. They did not bring comfort to me like they were supposed to do. Flowers saw my parents to their graves, and I hated them. I was an only child. Now I was alone and had to go live with my Aunt Emily. I liked Aunt Emily, but I did not know much about her. All I knew was that she was an old maid. Nowadays, the term old maid is considered an insult, but not when I was growing up. It was just a fact. 
every woman was supposed to get married, and if you didn't, you were an old maid. Aunt Emily owned a craftsman house with arched doorways, beautiful etched glass windows, and a large wraparound porch. It took me a while to get my room in order and to learn the routine of my new home. Aunt Emily was very patient with me. I had nothing bad to say about her, except that she loved flowers. I didn't know what to do. I could not tell her how they made me feel. My aunt gave me a home. She gave me a big bedroom with my own bath. She fed me and she would raise me. How could I tell her I hated her flowers? My bedroom window overlooked the expansive backyard. And wouldn't you know it, there were flowers and vines and roses and shrubs everywhere my eyes could see. I closed the blinds to that window and did not open it again for a month. I never once went out into that backyard. I'm sure my aunt knew something was wrong. She invited me to help her garden on a few occasions, but I always turned her down. Eventually, she even stopped putting flowers in the house. My aunt also maintained a bird feeder that hung close to my bedroom window. Day after day, I lay on my bed and listened to the birds singing, chirping, and scampering around. The lively sound of those birds soothed me and piqued my curiosity. What were they so excited about? Finally, I opened my blinds just high enough so I could see the feeder and the birds that dined there. Aunt Emily caught me watching them one day and brought a pair of binoculars for me so that I could get a better look at them. A few days later, she bought a bird book so I could identify the ones I saw. I fell in love with birds. Then one day I saw a beautiful flash of iridescent red dart across the garden and hover at a vine flower. A hummingbird. It stuck its long, sleek bill in flower after flower. Then it darted over to another large-faced flower and flew away with yellow pollen stuck to its beak. I smiled with glee and quickly became hooked on hummingbirds as well. But hummingbirds loved flowers. They depended on them for their lives. How would I cope? My soul was conflicted. Then one day, I couldn't take it any longer. I just had to get a closer look at the hummingbirds and learn what kind of flowers they loved to sip. I tentatively stepped out onto the back porch, afraid of being nauseated by the smells of a funeral. I never left the porch on that first venture outdoors, but I did talk to Aunt Emily as she did some gardening. My aunt told me that the vine the hummingbirds love so much is called a tangerine beauty cross vine, and the big-faced flower that it almost enveloped the tiny creatures is called a hibiscus. That night I dreamt of birds and flowers. 
A blue dawn morning glory weaved its way throughout my dreams as a mockingbird sat on my shoulder, boldly calling as if to say, there's nothing to be afraid of any longer. Black-capped chickadees and red-breasted nuthatches clung upside down to a giant buttery yellow sunflower, searching for seeds. A male Allen's hummingbird gracefully tangoed from one cardinal climber flower to another, content and happy with the nectar God had provided for him. I woke up in the morning with a peace I had not felt since the death of my parents. I got out of bed, stretched, and opened the window blinds as high as they would go. I was instantly bathed in the brilliant colors of my aunt's blossoming garden. And I knew, I just knew, that I would be out there with Aunt Emily before the day was over, learning all I could about flowers, the flowers that graced my parents' way to heaven. Crevice Crazy by Panayoti Kalidas And this is from Colorado Gardener, Harvest 2022 Edition. The edges of most cities in America aren't peppered like Denver is with rock yards. Large outdoor stores where you can select your favorite flavor of granite, limestone, or a variety of sandstone in all sizes, from breeze, a local term for crushed stone for paths, to multi-ton boulders needing a front loader to be moved. Often, large stones are placed like sculpture in the garden, or assembled in clusters with a few ground covers and a conifer or two to bring a whiff of the Rockies to your garden. Quite a few of us are smitten with the beauty of rocks and plants. Colorado has the largest membership of any state or province in the North American Rock Garden Society. Rock gardens have been the province of keen gardeners who want to grow a wide spectrum of wildflowers and even high alpine plants. By utilizing a steep slope or creating berms with special well-drained soils, you can often create habitats for plants that would be impossible to grow on a flat site or border. Not surprisingly, a half dozen or so public gardens in Colorado and neighboring states all feature rock gardens, often conspicuously. This is particularly the case at Betty Ford Alpine Garden in Vail, which is mostly rock garden. The Yampa River Botanic Park in Steamboat Springs, Cheyenne Botanic Gardens, and the gardens on Spring Creek in Fort Collins. There are other ambitious examples in public spaces as well. For most of the last century, rock gardens followed models developed in England and Western Europe with horizontal bedding of stone and often a waterfall and pond, creating a picturesque scene. In the middle of the last century, something resembling a sort of earthquake in the art began to emanate from the Czech Republic, at the time still Czechoslovakia. Perhaps because entrepreneurs were stymied by the stultifying Russian-dominated state that frustrated any business ventures, 
and likely inspired by the spectacular mountains of Eastern Europe and the Balkans. Creative Czechs began to take liberties with how stone was arranged. Instead of placing slabs of sandstone horizontally, the stone was upended, forming narrow crevices that were filled with fast-draining soil mixtures. Dramatic outcrops were designed with extraordinary artistry. Challenging plants grew easily due to the newly discovered vertical engineering of rock, which allowed water to percolate downward quickly instead of running off horizontal surfaces of old-style rockwork. The fathers of this school of gardening, Zenetic Zvolenek, Joseph Halda, and Votek Halubek, were frequent visitors to Denver Botanic Gardens in the 1990s and have continued to visit since. I created a sort of crevice garden there with Sandy Snyder in the mid-1990s, and Mike Kinchin and various staff were the first to create models closer to the Czech ideal. But the crevice gardening bug did not truly reach a viral threshold, as it were, until Kenton Seth visited Victoria, British Columbia, where Zdenek Zvelenik spent much of every winter with his partner Joyce Carruthers. There they mentored Paul Spriggs, a Victoria landscape artist. When Paul and Kenton met, they instantly created a professional bond that has led them to join forces on gardens across America. Together and separately, they have created dozens of ambitious crevice gardens in New Zealand, Scotland, North Carolina, Oregon, and a dozen private gardens in both Victoria and Colorado. They have now partnered to write the first comprehensive guide on how to create a truly beautiful crevice garden with detailed construction drawings and illustrations of the challenging plants that can be easily adapted to this novel garden art. Crevice Gardening was published by Filbert Press in England, but widely available mail order in the United States. I suspect it will appear soon in leading bookstores in our area. The most ambitious and large-scale crevice gardens in our area are products of the Spriggs-Seth collaboration. The Sims Street Apex Athletic Complex in Arvada has a stunning low-water crevice garden featuring an astonishing range of xeric plants, beautiful in all seasons and maintained with minimal irrigation. My personal favorite is the black granite crevice garden Kenton and Paul built in front of the conservatory of Cheyenne Botanic Gardens. Cheyenne is the hail capital of America with a climate that makes the Colorado Front Range seem almost tropical. But this garden is full of alpine treasures from Europe and the Rockies that we struggle to grow. Plus African succulents and even agaves I never dreamed would be hardy in Wyoming. Once you dip your toe in crevice garden waters, you may be tempted to place one somewhere on your property. They can turn a steep slope into a garden feature, or be a modified barrier to hide an unattractive corner. Or you can build a miniature one in a large container. Before you launch forth, obtain a copy of Crevice Gardening by Kenton and Paul to ensure that what you create will exceed your expectations. 
In the meantime, scout out a few of our special rock yards for inspiration. Thank you for joining us for Colorado Gardener. My name is Christy McGowan. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.